Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, here we see Alex's trademark bowl cut. And I wonder if that dog's unionized. Probably not. We should ask. Before we say anything more, I'd like to say to you, Raja. They're not going to stop us now. Cheers once no, more. They're not going to stop. Yeah, bro, let's get on the roof. We've been marked as spam. We've been marked as breaching copyright law. And the only thing they'll mark us down for now is being, being fucking awesome. unstoppable legends. That's yes, exactly right. Dude. I just got to check with Michael in the control room if um, he can uh, hear us. So if, if anyone there has the ability to talk to Michael in the control room and just Are we coming through loud and clear? Let us know. We've had to flick a few things so we don't breach copyright. What a bunch of fucking babies! Eh? I know. Jesus Christ! What is copy? What is copyright? What does what it even, actually? What does what it even mean? Is it? Who invented that? And what for? Yeah. Whose ass are they protecting? What exactly. secrets are they hiding? This is the we're asking the That's right what I questions want to know. now. I think these are the things we want to know. Um. So. Have we uh, had word from Michael? We haven't heard from Michael yet, but I'm hoping to hear from Michael very soon. And uh, we, in the interest of just making sure the cables are laid correctly, we've disabled the um, the vision and the audio of the film. We so have we reason to be believe that it. even though we own the exclusive rights, YouTube perhaps flagged it because mm. we've taken different corporal forms <laughs> and they don't recognize us <laughs> as the people we are. So... In spite of what our bodies look like, Home Alone 10, 3 is our film. Nine. nine and we will eight, eight now deliver seven, six, seven, six five, five, a director's commentary. Four, four three, three, two, one. one. To the people, for the people, and by the people. Now, me- this is the way I prefer to do a director's commentary. No one else can see the screen, so it's a little bit of directors. Hi, my name is Raju Gosnell. And I my name is John Hughes. Not the director, the director of this film, but a director of films and a collaborator on this film. Yes, Responsible- you made one of my favorite movies, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I don't remember a lick of that. Me and Matthew Broderick, every time they would call cut, or mm. I guess I would call cut, <laughs> yes. him and I would get on a private jet, we'd fly to Ireland, and we'd go to a different small town and get a rental car. Uh, and we would have a lot hold of on, laughs. Hold on. We're not talking about lo- Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We're talking about Home Alone. 
the third, which That's I think right. is the name of this movie. Look That's what up. we wanted to call it. The studio told us otherwise. Mm. So while they call it Home Alone 3, we continue to call it Home Alone the third. Yes. And one of the biggest challenges I found in writing this movie was finding situations for the protagonist, Alex, to actually be Home Alone. I kept having so much fun with the other characters. I wanted them to also be in the house. But as you'll soon see, we figured out a way. So... We open in Hong Kong, as we ever did, and as we always do. If once is good, three times is best, I think. There's a popular saying, saying once, twice, three times a movie. So these fish, actually, funny thing about them, they're all mechanical fish. The same engineers we got on to develop the missile chip for the film, we also got to develop highly photorealistic fish. They had a lot of downtime. Once the chip was done, we paid for so many... Hours of their time. We anticipated that they would have to work on the chip for two years. They told us it would only take a month, and they were right. This is one of the rare instances. And we're not too big of men to acknowledge when we were wrong or are wrong. Correct. And we really screwed the pooch on that one, and Mm. boy, did the financiers at 20th Century Fox let us know about it. But as they say in France, when in Rome, spend some money, get a film, we could get... Macaulay I don't know if anyone here has spent a lot of time in France recently, but uh, is a, a very popular sort of mantra circling amongst the French saying they need to reinvest what they have into the Italian economy. Yes. I don't know why, but I support it. Now, this guy here, well, there's only one thing to say about him. He fucks? Absolute fuck machine. <laughs> yeah. Now, a lot of different directors and screenwriters, because John and I worked pretty hand in glove on both pre-production, production, and post-production on this film, they take a different flavor, approach, or style to the casting decisions that are made. Some people, for example, get a casting director, not my personal cup of tea. What John Hughes and myself look for is raw sexual energy. Mm. We will often employ psychologists and sex therapists to run us through the audition process to figure this, out what tight ty- what who's the biggest tiger on the Serengeti we could land uh, for so our picture. This actually um, this is the movie where Esther Perel got her start. So we hired her away uh, from her job as a sexual and relationship therapist, and we lined up pretty much a hundred different people in front of her. And we said to Esther, which of these people fuck? Yeah. And she said, well, from what I, you know, in her funny little accent, she said, well, all of them. And so we hired all of them. It and was then, a good impression of her accent. Yeah, it's yeah. Perfect. I backed down. <laughs> uh, and so that, that's our cast. A hundred people handpicked by ourselves and Esther Perel. And Which is what you want in a kid's movie. You want to foster a raw sexual energy. A lot of the fucking didn't make it onto screen. Mm. It certainly was happening behind the scenes in the trailers. Uh, in the the cars, you know, the valets, we made sure they were all very horny. Yes. Everyone involved in this production, from top to bottom, knew how to fuck. Except for the kids. Which is good, and as it should be. We made sure that the kids had their own area. We, because we were shooting for 18 months, had to legally construct a school for them, which was an yeah. interesting challenge that I hadn't encountered in my filmmaking well, career. Well, it was less of a school and more of what you might call a sham Sham, Steiner Institute, I mean potato, potato. The point is there were no corners. We we found an old fridge and some of those magnets that have letters on them and we put the word school on the fridge door and we emptied out the back of the fridge so the kids would walk into the school and out the back of that it was pretty much just a field. Um, Not a lot of lessons, well, I mean, not a lot of, you know, academic lessons to be learned in the field but a lot of life lessons from the School of Hard Knocks. Oh, you better believe it. 
My God, we learned a lot. For example, did you know that a kid can only hold their breath for about a minute and a half? We didn't, nope. but now I think both we and Alex Pruitt. Yeah. Or is Pruitt the name of the character in the movie? Or the? I used to get this confused and it would drive him up the fucking wall. Yeah. Who can say? Uh, Alex Linz is the actor. Alex Pruitt Alex is the, the uh, character. character he portrays on well, screen. Anyway, you slice it, he's a very professional. He's a joy to work with. Oh, now this is a real doozy of a moment in the plot. The the part where they the, our criminals figure out that they don't, in fact, have a quite heavy toy remote control car well, in their bag in a big box, but it's a loaf, a loaf of, of bread. bread. An easy mistake yeah, to make. Yeah, we forgot to get catering on that down set, so the, what is represented as bread on camera had actually already been eaten, and what yeah. was in there was two bricks I'd sellotaped together. So that was a heavy bag, and the, the actor does a fantastic job of very lightly lifting what is in fact two weighty bricks you would be surprised at how hard that kind of mind work is but we got golia himself in to do a little bit of training that's with right we got uh well-known clown what's his first name okay i think it's golia golia yes it's quite a common thing for the french to do they have a sort of um upstairs downstairs first name last name yeah it's all it's all in and a, a lot of people try and spell it the french way with a lot of vowels next to each other but it's actually spelled g o l l y hyphen y a y golly yay because uh clowning is something to be celebrated great great line read here chicago right. that's are... actually the correct way to pronounce chicago not, not only are we going that. to chicago but we are already in chicago here are the three seagulls Gil, Gary, and Gavin. <laughs> the gals. It's hard to think of three gals. names that begin with a G. Gavin. Was that one of them? Yeah. Give me three Gareth. names. Yeah. Grayson. Yeah. Jerry. Yeah, Jerry traditionally with a, 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 J, a J. But yeah, you're Jerry right. Rafferty. Yep. A Jerry Halliwell. It's a soft G. Yeah, yeah. G-R-I. Was it? What's she, she up to now? You know, she joined the UN for a little bit. Really? We tried to get her in this movie. Ginger Spice? Yeah. She was, um, yeah, she was there. <laughs> what she were the five there. spices? The spices Sporty, were, as scary, we all know, posh, young. baby, <laughs> and ginger. Yeah. You know, like on a spice rack. Yeah, yeah. The, the five essential The five spices. most popular spices. Those are the, it's, uh, so you got those, and then you add, uh, Salt, pepper, white pepper, Tabasco, oregano, and cayenne pepper, and that's the KFC 11 Herbs and Spices. Five of them are the actual Spice Girls. Well, that's where the Spice Girls got it from. The more you know, hey? Mm. So, this actor we got to play the cab driver, as previously mentioned, for those of you who are seeing this or hearing this for the first time, though, Stan Lee, creator of Spider-Man. He was at a loose end. He didn't know creator what to do. Spider-Man. He created a lot of things. Yeah, mostly created Spider-Man. Marvel. Yeah, Spider-Man. Mm. And so we filled his cab that he was driving with a lot of spiders. And a funny thing about him is he's actually petrified of the little guys. Um, Can't handle them at all, eh? Funny with hindsight, certainly not on set that day. Just checking in with Michael, making sure that um, the recording tapes are still on. We're using a reel-to-reel system here, which traditionally isn't what you use for a... uh, This is coming out on Blu-ray, right? Yeah. director's commentary. I don't think we're breaking any fucking rules over here. Yeah, I don't think we fucking are this time, Michael. So, you know, come at me, bro. Yeah, straight up. What is this, spam? You think this is spam? This is important. This is what the people need. 
Anyway, Stan Lee, Burton Jernigan, this is a great downsetter, a personal high for me. A lot of people ask me, how do you come up with a name like Burton Jernigan? And how did you? Oh, can I take a guess, actually? Yeah. Was it a Ouija board? Well, yes and no. So parts of the name, every second letter was taken by a Ouija board, Mm. but I had to change every other letter because... uh, Obviously, it is in poor taste to just take the name from someone who's in a different realm and apply it to a living character in a movie. But if you change up half of them, it almost seems like a copyright issue, but yeah. it is sort of a, um, I was going to say interdimensional, but no, sort so of another realm. The, the guy's actual name was Bargin Johansson or something uh-huh. along that the works. likes. That, yeah, that pretty much works, I reckon. The first half did. But I didn't have time to figure out the second half. And who would, when you're doing as much cocaine and writing as many scripts as the late, great John Hughes, whose ghosts deigned us with his presence yeah, and his director's right. commentary, you can't despite keep, him not being a director You can't keep me in film. purgatory forever. Now, Mrs. Hess, I remember so vividly in this scene, she kept bringing, because this is what we hired her, this is what we got her on set for, sex therapist by name, sex therapist by nature, here is a woman whose sole focus is on drawing out the raw sexual energy in everyone around her. And, and with putting the, her in a kid's movie, exception of this scene acting opposite right a child, we kept saying, tone it down, tone it down, and she had huge trouble. Eventually, we had to shoot this with two different actors, so... That looks like Alex, but that was actually me on my knees. You notice they're never in the frame with their faces together because we were told pretty quickly it was illegal to have them working together, and rightly so. The same reason she was brilliant on camera. Mainly because of us and the situations we put our vulnerable actors in. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, you know, the way that it, it was made, we're a couple of monsters, but when the product's this good, you know, you can separate the art from the artist. I think you can too. Now, let's talk about the shooting we needed to do in suburban Chicago in the middle of winter. Mm. Quite a difficult um, shooting circumstance. A lot of Traditionally, people... you don't like to expose your equipment to those sorts of temps. Wow. And a lot of people told us it was a bad idea. We learned a we lot said... about meteorology on this on this shoot, didn't we? We said, go fuck yourself. We've got a meteorologist. And they said, that's fine. They're going to be able to predict how cold it is but not change it. We said... Go fuck yourself. Yeah. They were right, though. Meteorologists, while they might know the weather, they can't change the weather. And that's on us, man. I know a lot of French. There's not room in the brain for everything, you know? (laughs) Am I supposed to be expected to know every country beginning with S? No. Am I supposed to know uh, everything that a meteorologist can and can't do? No. Well, I'm sorry, 20th Century Fox. $30 million is a lot of money to spend on equipment destroyed I just want to say, this is a great example of Hughes' Fish, which is a rarely used and known film device whereby you introduce a fish who does not reappear in the film in spite of a heavy emphasis being placed on them early in the screening. I've just got a... um, For the control room, they're just making sure that they can reach a... uh, It's called Sync... So I've just got to give them the we were up to in the movie in case they need to resync anything. Ah, Michael making a lot of requests of us, and rightly so. Yes. Now we spent a lot of money on things that weren't makeup. Twelve minutes just now. Exactly. Twelve minutes if you need to resync anything with your version of the movie. You should be seeing the fantastic Harvland someone on the phone right now. I wanted to say Williams, but that's not it. No, I think it is. I wanted to say Williams too, but I resisted. Hmm. Anyway, she was a delight to work with on set, a real pro. 
Uh, and she loved that steamer. She insisted on sharing yeah. as many scenes as possible. Now we actually steamer. ate the food that the dad here was cooking, the actor, and it made a lot of us very sick. Yeah, Kevin is a confident cook, but would we say a talented culinary no, professional? No one would. We wouldn't. Least of all him. He said, yeah. "You guys shouldn't be eating this. This yeah. is chicken. This yes. is raw chicken." Yes. And we <laughs> said, "Well, it's been on a fucking hob." What are you telling me? That hob's not on? He said, yeah, the hob's not on. It breaches health and safety. And we mm. said, give us the chicken. Yeah. And yeah. So you, that delayed- me, and a meteorologist, <laughs> uh, we were basically occupying the bathrooms and tying them up for the next couple of days. Of we also uh, peer pressured Alex into having quite a lot of the chicken with us. And that slow production down by one and a half months. So that's six more weeks Seems of time. Seems irresponsible now that I remember it. Like getting a young child actor to enjoy barely cooked chicken that's how you, you boost their imu- and a that's, meteorologist. How, that's, how you, that's how you boost their immune system i don't know man i just don't know hey um i've got to ask you uh now that you're dead john hughes and you're sort of joining us for this um this one off it's i mean first of all i'm honored that you would come back just for this anything you, for my old mate raja have you sort of popped into any other little events uh just to check on things from the afterlife? I do what I can. It's quite interesting living in uh, the afterlife as I do. You don't have total autonomy over where you get to go. Do you get a bit summonsed? Like a letter you, from a court sort of, you and get you're like, summoned, well, I guess I've got to be here. You tend to be able to exercise most control over life events or people who were involved in your life. Mm-hmm. For example, at one point I wanted to go and visit... Uh, I can't remember her name now. Julie. Who's the voice of Marge Simpson? Oh, I don't know. Julie Kastner? Anyway, I couldn't I couldn't do it. I couldn't go and see it. If I want to go check it on Macaulay Culkin, however, that's yeah. a freebie. I can do that anytime I want. Right. So it's interesting. Any particular reason for that? Has he opened up some sort of portal where it's easy for He you? can't see me. Right. But I can see him. And that's not the case with all so people. So you, you don't get to just go and pick and choose exactly who you're visiting or what you're doing. You, you, you sort of, you can will yourself to a certain amount of control over where you're going but there's a certain amount that's still left up to the fates it's amazing and oh it's amazing it's also fucking frustrating it's a miracle i made it here exactly as i imagined the introduction of doris the mouse one of the great mice on screen in my humble opinion uh i've made a lot of films in my time and uh all of them have featured at least one rodent that's right they don't get any finer than doris we campaigned incredibly hard to open up a category for animal actors in the Oscars, what you would know as the Oscars. We call it the Academy Awards in the biz. Uh, Unfortunately, those backwater hacks won't accept the fact that a non-homo sapien can turn in a performance that will have you captivated. And I just think that's wrong. It's an outrage. fundamental level. I point you to Beethoven. I point Mm. you to Earbud, Babe, Pig in the City, Stuart Little... All instances of animals stealing the show away from people. Very deserving, all of those performers of a knock. Is that what you call it? An award? A knock? They're they're deserving of a knock. I don't think that's what you call it. Yeah, they're deserving of a knock. An Oscar. We can call it whatever we want. Now, we are starting to introduce... The, uh, the 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 story as it will actually happen here. We've got Alex at home with the chicken pox, very inaccurately rendered by our very cheap makeup artists. We've got Harlan Williams, who's balancing her work and home life. And we've got the remote control ch- car with the missile chips. We've got three component parts that three will balls. eventually reveal 
the, the, the thrust of the movie. We, of course, here have Alice Ribbons leasing or renting a house in the same neighborhood as they try and track down the missile ship, which is inside of the remote control car that Alex started using. So all of the sort of moving parts, all of the different ingredients in the recipe that does make Home Alone 3 are now being introduced to the pot. They certainly are. And uh, once again for the control room, that is at a tasty 16 minutes and 44 seconds in. 45, 46, 47, 48. You should be seeing Alex in a Darth Vader helmet yeah. and Mrs. Hess fixing herself a... It, actually, subtle difference. That is from um, the uh, parody, Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. So that's the one that Rick Mel Moranis... Brooks. Yeah, I think it's a Mel Brooks movie. Rick, Rick Moranis, Moranis is, is in. Yeah, yeah. dons the helmet. One thing we know is movies. Fuck do we know movies. For example, Beethoven, Earbud. Stuart Little. Babe, Pig in the City. You remember Baby's Day Out? God, I love that movie. No, what happens in Baby's Day Out? Picture this. You got a baby, and the baby... Is having a day. ...goes to town, literally. There are some kidnappers who are trying to steal the baby because I, I believe it's part of a very rich family, and the hijinks that this baby gets up to are outrageous. We're in a construction site. The baby manages to while its way... Around up quite tiny high planks. I would love to oh, see the baby up high. Absolutely, so high. That yeah. is fun. And the criminals cannot. Uh, Do they have a fear the of physicality. Perhaps. Well, it's also the fact that the baby's very light and able to lightly. It's a real around. balancing act. Fleshing out the backstory of the criminals, balancing the competence so that they are a genuine threat to the protagonist of the film against the ineptitude that inevitably means they won't be able to realize their goals. It is one of the great challenges in script writing. And uh, it's something Dunstan I found checks here. in. Another fantastic... I just got that from the control room. Yeah, yeah. It's another deserving non-human Jason actor. Alexander and a chimp go to Absolute Town inside of a, a hotel looking for that elusive dog. sixth star. Well, that dog was a real fuck. Um, yeah, that dog doesn't deserve an Oscar at all. But he does, that, des- but, he does deserve some time out. Yeah, sorry... Those of you who weren't on set won't know this. Uh, so John and myself, Raja Gosnell, we had a really hard time with that dog because he started unionizing the actors on set. It was this infuriating. Was this is an intelligent dog. Set yeah. with Karl Marx reading Dust Capital. Like, give it a fucking rest, pooch. Yeah, you're a dog. You're Although, meant to want snacks and water and walks. To his credit, man's best friend over there did manage to get 20% increase on the base and points on the box office performance of the film for most people who were involved. So, you know, credit where it's due, the dog knew how to play ball. Well, great for the performers on set. As most in, dogs in, do. Infuriating for us and, of course, the studio execs at 20th Century Fox. Mm. I mean, we'd already blown out on that chip design. It sunk a lot of tamales into that. Yeah. And then, fucking... You got union Jews pushing up the price of your human and non-human performers? Whoo! Especially a in a movie that relies so heavily on non-human performers. You've not just got the dog, you've got the parrot, you've got Doris the mouse. We had some of the most expensive animals you can hire in Hollywood or, in this instance, Chicago, Illinois. Mm. Now, Control Room just got a text message from New York City sending love. Oh. Do you want to message them back? They, we, re- received we received love from that. New York City. I'd yeah. like to send a, an absolute... Tell Michael. Just tell Michael. Michael, I'd love to send an absolute fucking mountain of love back to the good people in New York City. Yeah, and thank New you York so much City. There's for, a place where you see a Home Alone movie. I'm talking Home Alone 2. Yeah. Fuck, how good was that? Well, We've got all the essential elements. 
an ice skating rink, um, a toy shop that a kid gets to go into, Donald Trump. It's just got all the essential elements of a fight. I movie. no longer regard Home Alone 2 as canon for reasons that I cannot be bothered articulating right now, but rest right. assured, I'm very happy to be revisiting Home Alone 3. Oh, but can I remind of- you of uh, uh, one Tim Curry? A delicious cheese pizza. I mean, <laughs> my God, we're talking Oscar bait? That's yeah. it right there. Tim Curry's led a rich and varied career, and he doesn't always get his dues, but the guy's a fantastic performer. Every time he shows up, he brings it. A lot of actors will come and collect a paycheck while turning in a mediocre performance, but not Tim Curry. Do you realize that he was it? You know what you've just done there? The movie, the Stephen King, the original it. Pretty sure there was Tim Curry. Yeah, it was. Fuck, you are good, mate. He was a I'd meme. I'll tell you what, John Hughes, you still got it. Before he was a meme, he was Pennywise. Mm-hmm. You know what is a good car? The station wagon. Oh, a lot man. of room for stuff in the back. Tell you what, if you need to transport people or goods, you want a station wagon. They're often overlooked in this day and age. But back in the 90s, people which are always I would say worried was about the, the heyday yeah. for John and Raja, mainly because you were alive at the time, we were fucking all about them. People are all about parking now. But yeah. what's the point in getting a good park if you haven't got stuff to transport in and this out is, of the car? This is it. What are station you wagon provides that option. Now, Mr. Bepray in this scene broke into an actual home. This is a home we did not have permission to shoot in. Mm. We had to rush through these scenes. We initially allowed for about three hours because we figured, I mean, a lot of the stuff you're seeing in the movie is stuff we believe in real life. You know, if people, families, they leave the house, they go to school, they go to work, that means we've essentially got an eight-hour work day within which we can fit our own work day. Mm. Now, in this instance, it was a half day at the school. We didn't know that. And so the kids were coming home. We were racing. To, I mean, it which did school it, are we talking about? Our fridge school or the actual school? No, no, no. School the the on, actual school right. that the actual people who are in the actual house lived in. So it lent a real touch of method performance to this because while we had the rights to shoot in this house, the one that Mr. Bepray is in right now was actually under duress. Real cops showed up. It saved us a lot of money. We just filmed the real cops as they were. Um, I tell you what, if there's one set of people that I am good friends with, it's got to be the cops. <laughs> Raja, really? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> this dog's a good actor. That's a different dog. It's playing the same character, but we had to get a separate dog in because we tired the first one out. It's probably all the yeah, bloody negotiating, negotiating yeah, to yeah. be honest, now that I think about it. I tell you what, he, he, he won the, the battle, but that exhausted dog could not win the war. Mm. He won a lot of rights for a lot of different people on set, but the, the dog never had the same fire in his eyes after that. Yeah, big shout-out to Michael for getting the stream back up. I uh, just received another text message from the studio there. Good on you, Michael. Uh, here's to you, buddy. One of the great things about Alex D. Linz is... Uh, his name's Alex D. Linz? It's calling him Dillins the whole time. Fuck. <laughs> Is he's fucking cute. Yeah. He's he's, he's not Macaulay Culkin. He's he's a different kid. And, you know, it'll get pissed off if you compare him to him. He's grown into quite a handsome young man, actually. And while I wouldn't have said it or forecast it while we were on set, kid knows what he's up to in the bedroom. Mm. As an adult. Cool. I haven't, uh, I haven't had anything to do with them. I assume in your non-corporeal form. Um, I'm almost tempted to rewind. Did you see a guy dressed in purple in the back seat there for three frames? 
I wasn't looking. Okay. But well. I did put a I I so I tried to sell a lot of advertising space to McDonald's in this film. Uh-huh. And so we couldn't get the rights to the actual Grimace costume. Instead, we went to an op shop, we bought several different purple items, we put right. them on an extra and we slammed them in the back of a car. Uh, if it did come off, we were going to CGI the rest of Grimace's body onto the actor, but of course he didn't. So that's a, what what you know uh, train watchers or train spotters would call a continuity error. In truth, we knew exactly what we were doing. It just didn't come off as we wanted it to. Grimace light. Here are the Chicago police force who, uh, I was going to say happily, they didn't volunteer to come and shoot this well, no. film with us. We called them up and said there's a robbery going and then and rolled. That's right. So this is this is all... And this is so weird. So probably most famously, people will know this gentleman here from Scrubs as the janitor. Um, not a lot of people knew that he was part of the Chicago police force before he got into That's acting. right. So as, as I mentioned earlier, it was not too difficult to get them out because it was a genuine robbery. Mr. Beaupre was actually broken into a house. He actually took some jewelry. We did not sanction this. He actually took some jewelry from the house. Real cops showed up. They asked, what's with the cameras? We said, shut your fucking mouth and ask us what's going on. And he did. And then we said, Ouija boards, my friend. We're getting into them. We're making them. We're selling them. We're using them to create half of the character names in this film. Not half as in 50% of the cast of characters. 50% as in 100% of the characters' names, but 50% of those names. That's right. Do the math. Very well articulated. Speaking of good articulation, check out the fantastic line delivery on this little kid, Alex D. Lins. Am I saying it right? I really am embarrassed. As the director of the film, you should have known better. Frequently called him Alex D. Lins. Well, while I was happy to hand over the reins and give you an opportunity to start, you had edited the previous two Home Alone films. There was a small part of me that uh, was being entertained by the green eyed monster. I don't want to, you know... Uh, Weed or jealousy? Jealousy. Oh, okay. A lot of this movie, while I was on set but not in charge, I was taking a little swim in the jealousy. And what color was it, Tim? Well, you wouldn't be surprised to hear that your name is Raja and it was green with envy. I was jealous of you. I was jealous of the control you had on set. I was jealous of a lot of the decisions you made. Not the decisions I would have made, but decisions I would have liked to have had the choice to make. And, wow, um, is this the unfinished business you were talking about that kept you in some sort of purgatory I guess we'll state? Fi- we'll, we'll find out when I leave this, this realm. I if guess I go back well, to I feel like you and I got to get to the bottom of this for you to have some resolution and closure on this. I just got sick and tired of dealing with Macaulay. Yeah. And I wanted to make another Home Alone film. I didn't want him to be involved. But yeah. at the time that I offered you the director's role i thought macaulay was going to be on set obviously between you saying yes and the movie starting he pulled out we got alex and it just felt like a different experience on set and one that i would have liked to have been in charge in but instead i had to watch you Mm. and that is probably part of the reason why i was while presenting as a constructive and helpful collaborator quite destructive and distracting on I mean, set. Ghost of John Hughes, I, I hate to break up what is undeniably progress being made, but we've just had the introduction of Stucky, of Stuck with Stucky fame. Yeah. Now, if there's one way to make your movie profitable, it is to get a spin-off sitcom adjunct to the franchise. It's, very, it's a cop comedy. Very rarely does 
uh, feature film take out a character actor and turn it into its own TV series. You might see it with a TV show. Mm. You know, we saw Fraser spin off from Chairs. We saw Joey spinning off from Friends. Very rarely will you see a secondary or third tier character, mm. in this instance, Stucky from the FBI be given the reins to their whole entire television sitcom, a different medium and in many ways a different mountain to climb. But we had that specifically in mind with the development of Stucky, uh, some of the character traits, some of the important information, the fact he's in charge of 13 amnesia agents at the FBI. And we had a lot of fun creating the character. We had a lot of fun fleshing out a book that we would shop around to different networks upon the release of Home Alone 3. Now, sadly, none of those networks took the bait. So we are essentially sitting on a bottle rocket of content here. Mm. Stuck with Stucky is a sitcom that the world is ready for. It's one that the world has not yet seen. And it's just a nice little detail to know as you watch the movie unfold to to, to look at those moments and think, I see what they're doing here. I see the seeds they're planting to later sow. Here's what I'm thinking. Do we biff Stuck with Stucky on the Blu-ray that will also accompany this? Or rather, we will accompany... What do you mean? Well, we did film an off-air pilot. Yeah. I say we put that on the Blu-ray that we're recording this director's commentary I see no reason why we wouldn't. Of the release. Stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Let's um, check with the control room that that's not going to get us taken off. Are you, you going to fucking wet your pants over that one, Michael? Because it's a song someone wrote once that I'm humming the singing the tune of. Yeah, Michael, if that's copyright breach, guess what? So is every single sentence I've said in my life because I didn't come up with any of these words, you dumb shit. Yeah, you fucking asshole. Hey, Michael, do you have any concept of how hard it is to exist in the world and create art without referencing the art of others? Maybe go fuck yourself next time you want to pull some of that shit on me. Yeah, Michael. Fucking Michael, man. I believe it was Leonardo da Vinci from a country I'm very familiar with. Spain. Italy. Oh, sorry, yes. Who said, good artists borrow, great artists steal. He was talking about gold, bullion gold. Mm. One it was thing from a time when um, people were suffering uh, a horrible sickness that could only be cured with gold. So the only way to survive if you were good at anything was to steal and consume Gold. Too fucking right. Now, I love the colorway that young Alex is wearing here. I initially had written those pants as blue. He showed up on set in green trousers. I let him you roll with, with it. that. And that's what makes John Hughes John Hughes. The fact that he is so dedicated to a movie that he'll turn up on set every damn day, despite the fact that he's only the screenwriter. But he will also let shit slide. Now, an interesting take from our man Kevin, who is portraying Mr. Pruitt. Uh, uh, Alex's father he gets a 911 message on his beeper which could literally mean any emergency has happened to my family the only people with this number and instead of being panicked instead of being even moderately worried his read on it was done yeah well he's an understated guy he's not he's not swinging for the fences here's a guy who wants you to eat his cooking and take his first reads. And that's what we did. We had a lot of, you know, um, difficulty working with him. And ultimately, a lot of respect for the guy. He gives you one take and one take only. If he offers you a sandwich, you eat the sandwich. If he offers you a read, you take the read. 
The guy is not a professional, but he's a fucking good laugh. As soon as he was finished on set, every single day, he'd roll up the biggest blunt I've ever seen and light it. We'd say, you can't do that. There are kids around here. Between coughing fits, he would say, I could give two fucks. Now take a bite of this raw chicken breast or I'm going to kick you in the ghoulies. Had a lot of sore nuts, a lot of salmonella on that set. Ultimately, though, it's worth it for the performance. Understated and efficient. Yeah. Um, a lot of people ask me, what was it like working with a young Scarlett Johansson oh, on set? That reminds me, actually. What was it like working with a young Scarlett Johansson on set? Honestly, fantastic. I knew she had star power from the moment she walked into the audition. Mm-hmm. We'd run a bunch of different actors. We'd already had Helen Hunt through, Meryl oh. Streep, Susan Sarandon. Meryl Streep for this role? Yeah. There must be an age delta of at least four decades between the two. Yeah, that's why she didn't get the role, idiot. (laughs) And then Scarlett Johansson came in. She was the first actor we had underneath 40 years old at the time, and we said, you've got something. Now, this, I think, is what we're looking for, someone under 40 to play a 14-year-old. So we cast her, and she brought the goods. To her credit, she did not age 35, 25 45 years between yeah. being cast and the movie going into production. She showed up roughly the same age as when we cast her, and that was what we wanted her for, and that's what she did. Well done, Scarlett. Oh, uh, excuse me for being a good citizen was one of the many catchphrases that we tried to the amount of get merch, on merch. The, the amount of merchandise mm. we produced, mostly as samples, some as entire merchandise runs that were never used is to remember you really, pretty upsetting. You would think that Sorry for Being a Good Citizen would have taken off as well because, I mean, at the time we were trying to lift it um, off the back of the movie. Uh, and then, of course, we had um, the Bill Clinton uh, mm. trial uh, of perjury. Yeah. Um, and we tried to sort of attach it to that cultural moment, that zeitgeist as well. Sorry for being a good citizen. Yeah. Um, and the president was, lied to us. It was it was next to a caricature of Bill Clinton uh nude with a stiffy but instead of his penis we'd we'd uh edited in a a cigar mm. tasteful a, and i think hilarious hilarious and yeah. good, good commentary i think Sadly, so ask us to explain exactly what it means you put it that's good satire you put it together the merchandise run didn't take off we wound up with five hundred thousand of these t-shirts classic in my garage us. classic John and Raj, <laughs> RJ, against the world, printing merch, selling to no one, just trying desperately to keep those rent payments but in. the good news is I wound up using a lot of those t-shirts to insulate my holiday home, Let's which was on Lake Michigan. the relationship that we developed over this franchise, John. Can we? Because I feel like without doing that, there's no chance of you ascending into um, heaven. I what song is that? In heaven, uh, cheek to cheek, best known in my eyes for a rendition performed by Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. Huh. Beautiful from their album Ella and Louis. Have you been hanging out with Louis Armstrong up there? Not as much as I'd like. The guys avoiding me like I'm fucking sick. I can understand that. Um, we met at a Jiffy Lube. <laughs> yeah, and I took you to a Hooters. Yes. <laughs> Then we finished up the date at 31 Flavors. And then uh, we stayed up pretty late and we went for breakfast, or what was at the time lunch, at a TGIF. Weirdly, still hungry, we trip over to a Denny's and order a little extra. I got the waffles, you got the pancakes, because yeah. we're different like that. 
And then we went to a IHOP, or an IHOP, I should say. <laughs> we did. We went. <laughs> we went. Where did we go first? Before the Denny's? We went. Oh, it's hard to say. But we did it all. We went to a Hooters. We went to a Jiffy Lube. Yep. A Denny's. <laughs> I mean, it's all there. IHOP. We said it about 30 seconds ago if anyone's interested to retrace flavors. our steps. Uh, and we felt sick. Yeah, we did. And do you we know why we you, felt sick? Because we hadn't been to McDonald's yeah, yet. Yeah, we were still hungry. So we went and got ourselves a couple of burgers. Yeah. And after that, we strapped ourselves into two toilets next to each other. Mm. It's one of those situations, you get them at airports sometimes, where there are two toilets in the same room. So there's no divider. And often there's a child's toilet and an adult's toilet. In this instance, there were two children's toilets. And we sat on them. Our asses were bigger than the bowls. Yes. And we would have been shitting for about three hours straight. It was disgusting. But, but a real lesson in accuracy. A powerful way to bond. Mm. And after that, I mean, we didn't look back. We came up with the idea then and there in the toilets. Yep. I said, we've worked together. We've edited films together before. We've never met in person <laughs> now that we have. Yeah. And we've shit through these dang toilets. Yeah. Home Alone 3. Absolutely. You, me, Macaulay Culkin, if he's willing, which he wasn't, Started working on the paperwork. We got into a KFC. Uh, then we had to go. Yeah. Little known fact: the first a, third of this movie was written on KFC napkins. Yes. Straight off to Wendy's after that, of course. That's where you need to head to after a, a KFC. Might I just uh, take a moment to to break from us reminiscing as we struggle oh, to do the Burger King ad? Sorry. This director's commentary is brought to you by the reigning sovereign of shitty food, the Burger King. Yeah. Get your whopper now. It definitely won't dissolve your intestines. It clogs you up tighter with the king. Now... What I wanted to talk about was this scene. So this is obviously quite a significant scene in the movie. We had to take several creative liberties to capture it the way we imagined. The torque and traction on this car to be able to perform as it does through this entire scene is totally unrealistic. And to try and make it more realistic, we got an actual car and we put it in an actual house. We destroyed the whole house. Most of that footage totally unusable. It's quite interesting because a lot of film directors, you might have heard of Peter Jackson doing this, will use miniatures to mock up a larger object. What we decided to do is the inverse of getting a larger object, which is to say get an actual car and then build a house to scale above that if the to- if the car was a toy. Yeah. So we had to construct a house um, that was 16 times the normal size of a house and then just roll a car around inside of it to get the it physics It took us right. seven months to do it. We honestly it- thought it was the cheapest way to do it, but now that I'm saying it out loud, that just well, can't be it right. wasn't helped by the fact that as soon as we had the car in there, the scales were all off. Yeah. The house was built the normal size of a house. The car remained the normal size of a car. We took out three walls. We lost a lot of good crew members on set. A lot of good crew members. I cannot stress how many. But before it was taken down for violating copyright reasons, the bloopers reel from that day on set on YouTube was the most the most viewed clip until 2005 like, before it got Michael taken down. Big old hard on talking about things that are getting taken down for copyright infringement. He's getting all chubbed up over here. We own the rights to that footage. You know what I don't understand? Michael took um, uh, decided to unplug our microphones twice for reasons that he stated as being uh, soliciting a scam or fraud. We've changed nothing. And yet he's not pulling any mics this time. Michael, yeah, and, and if you do, we're not going to be pulling any punches, Michael, you bag of shit. Mm. So at this point in the movie, you'd think that you're about halfway through. And truth be told, I don't think you are. <laughs> There's only one way to tell, and that's by 
just re-syncing with the control room at a crispy 39 minutes and 45 seconds into a one hour 40 movie. Which means we've got an hour to go. And what a pleasure and a delight it is. See you on the other side of the one hour mark, which is about now. now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, Tim, you know I'm a huge advocate for hiring an objective, professional, licensed professional to tell my problems to so that when they tell me what they think, I know I'm getting it straight. That's where BetterHelp comes in. That's right. BetterHelp have a big pile of professionals to talk to at your convenience online. You've done a bit of therapy, right, Guy? I started doing therapy during, uh, there was a pandemic, I don't know if you remember, and the benefits were immediate and long-lasting. They help give you skills that you can use when you are in stressful or anxious situations. Honestly, it's changed my life for the better. I guess that's why they call it BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash all time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash all time. Oh, that rouge. My, oh, my. We're at a point in the film now where... The criminals are starting to get wise to the fact that someone's on their tail... They don't quite understand it is a genius child, but they do know that they're in trouble. He's weaponizing a parrot. He's utilizing technology. He's leveraging the fact that he is in a beautiful Chicago suburban Tudor home on multi-stories with a lot of carpentry tools, and he is just the kind of boy to grab a jigsaw and half-cut some floorboards to get some villains to fall through. Beautiful singing voice on this bird. Yeah. So good that it cast a bit of a spell on anyone who was on set. We kept falling asleep every time we would sing. Well, it's like bad, some sort of bad. Uh, Leroy Brown. Beguiling. You know, watch yourself. Michael will fucking kick you in the nuts. Yeah. Because that's that, a song that exists. Can't have that. Can we, Michael? Fucking Michael. Anyway, the car makes a break for it. It spins out. <laughs> 
And this um, is my favourite bit of director's commentary um, when we just start describing the action on camera. It is completely needed because some people aren't watching what we're watching. A car goes through a puddle. It's a people mover. It's driven by Burton Jernigan. Say the name with me. Burton Jernigan. And what- Alex is terrified. The car that he has attached a also uh, remote transmitting video camera two has fallen on its side and it is unable to get up who else can't get up burton jernigan because he has tripped and fallen in the ice into his yeah. shed mr Bupre, that dastardly leader of the villains has found the car so it this seems like it's all over this is, is meant to represent an all is lost moment that's exactly right we know that alex needs to know who the crooks are we know that the chip exists inside of the car what have we lost here We've lost the ability to show anyone that there are actual robbers in the neighborhood, and we've lost the missile chip, which is the catalyst for all of the action in the film. Mm. How are we going to get ourselves out of this bind? I originally wrote this to be a 42-minute movie. The studio said to me, that's not long enough for a blockbuster. We're going to need more. So I took the 42 pages of script I had, and I continued writing from this point forth. They might get the tape, but they're not going to get the car. Jernigan watches on as Bepre hands it to Ribbons, We've taken a lot of liberties with the talk of the car and the traction of the car so far. Why not do it again? While it might seem like all is lost, bang, hit the accelerator. That car's going to fucking run, baby. I mean, run. as I mentioned at the start of this beautiful director's commentary that we've been baking in an oven for 40 minutes for you, or longer depending on when you started watching. what part of the control room observations you joined in on. Uh, there is basically no flaws in this film whatsoever, physical, plot, or otherwise. So uh, you can't hold that over me. You can't say that there was something going wrong with the amount of torque or the or the physics on this car because I tell you what, I did the math. Yeah. Fuck. I, I mean, Don't you challenge me, ghost of uh, John Hughes. I'll try not to, but I'm, I'm telling you, the car is rendered entirely unrealistically. Yeah, it was a great read on the what. Yeah, Mr. Bupre bringing a terrifying energy in that read of the what. I didn't like it, but you really overruled me on the day. Insane to me that not only the director would be in the editing suite, but also the screenwriter. Yet, that is how we make a film. How we make a film. Not, not how one not, makes not a film. Not how film is but made, how but we how make a film. In this particular instance, we chose to make a film. Now, Raja, I'd love if you could tell me a little more about the breakdown of your family or your relationship to your wife and children that happened while we were on set during Home Alone 3. Here's the thing. I witnessed one of my cinematic heroes, John Hughes, attempt to swap children out for cast members when he was working on this picture. And it inspired me. Um, he to didn't, attempt a manoeuvre of my own. He didn't where, watch it all the way to the end. No, I didn't. I didn't see the outcome of that particular um, uh, uh, attempt. And I, I worked pretty hard to tell you everything was going to be fine. Yes, you certainly did. You really pulled the ball uh, over my eyes. So I was uh, in a relationship with my wife for 30 years. She nursed me back to health after I became very ill. Uh, she had essentially given me she was everything your, she was she your had. soulmate. She was my rock. I don't know that she I necessarily believe in the notion of soulmates, but the relationship between you two was one of the most powerful, palpable, and real things I've seen Undeniable. in all my time, both alive and in purgatory. Yeah, there was nothing quite like it um, through the millennia that humans have been on this mortal realm. I thought to myself, Raja, 
Look at John upgrading his kid for a cuter kid. I wonder if you could do the same thing. So I attempted to swap my wife for the sexually evolved Mrs. Hess. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it was a huge swing and a miss on set for me, made worse by the fact that, um, unfortunately, our uh, socialist pooch had gotten in her ear earlier and managed to get her signed up to the collective agreement, and I was in a tremendous amount of hot water for sexual harassment. (laughs) I cannot tell you the damage that this has done to both my career and my marriage, except to say I've never worked in Hollywood again, and I've never been married since. It's an incredible anecdote, really, isn't it? It is, like Midas, a story of a man who reached for too much, perhaps... Icarus would have been a better metaphor, but they well, both Midas seemed got to greedy reply. though, isn't it? Did Midas touch things that turned to gold? Yes, he and did. In many ways, you but did he that wanted too. it. He sought it. He but went after it. He got. He, he was the dog that caught up. To what the you car. touched didn't turn to gold so much as absolute shit. And for that, I would like to accept no responsibility and apologize on behalf of you to yourself. <laughs> I will graciously accept this apology via proxy to myself from myself via the ghost of John Hughes, screenwriter it of Home Alone a 3. a big man to acknowledge the fault in their own ways. It takes an even bigger man to attempt to, no, get out of it, uh, to uh, a dog has gotten into the um, booth, which seems insane to me. Yeah, what are you going to do, though? Yeah, nothing. So here we see Alex's trademark bowl cut. And I wonder if that dog's unionized. Probably not. We should ask. Hey, Rufus. You unionized, bro? Shit, hard yes. Okay, we won't fuck with him. Yeah, you're not going to be in any movies then, you dumb dog. Yeah, don't listen. We don't want to get any more trouble than we've already got, all right? I. Just for control room as well, I'll give you a quick sync point. Um, 47, 47 minutes, 10, 10 seconds. 11, 12, 13. Right now in the film, if it's your first time here and you don't have it currently on, we're at that famous bit of Home Alone 3 where Alex Pruitt opens up the uh, camcorder and finds that the tape has been taken. This was his one piece of evidence that he had to prove he's been right all along, justifying his actions to his family. He's called the cops on multiple occasions. He is currently the boy who cried wolf. He thought he could uh, prove his innocence with this, and sadly, not to be. So now he sits. Also, I'd like to say this was one of my favorite uh, pieces of set. I actually took that home and I, I slept on it till till I passed on. The bed that Alex has is one of those sort of iconic American beds that has those uh, large oversized pencils as the sort of pillars of the bed. The, bed the posts, bed head and the bed posts. Them. Yeah. I think that's fun. The idea of a pencil so big that it's big enough to be a piece of furniture is hilarious to me and remains so to this day. It's an undeniable Filled with real lead as well, which made me pretty sick because I... um, Got lead poisoning. I I mean, it makes perfect sense when you put it all together. But was it worth it for having that uh, cool little bed? I think so. For a time, until I was sick. This scene was filmed in a hotel room, my hotel room. I got into a lot of trouble. Not allowed to have one-on-one meetings in hotel rooms anymore, as the news cycle has told us. But we got the goods. We got the scene. We got it done. Any legal troubles didn't happen until after the film was released. This is Forrest Whitaker here, and not a lot of people know that. Um, Before he had... uh 
the incident that caused his eye to sort of quite famously, he's got that very strong look of um, sort of half closed. But this is before that happened. And he is one of the finest actors of my generation, Raja Gosnell. Um, I wouldn't say your generation because you're dead. So I'm not sure that we... Do you kind of have a... I guess you have a generation. I guess I kind of encompass all generations now. Yeah. My favourite actor of my generation? Please. Mr. Sidney Poitier. Ah, fair enough too. Oh man, that is a line that... Honestly, I could watch all day. You should have taken Driver's Ed. You shouldn't have let your emotions get the better of you. Fine. Whatever. Burton Jernigan's getting it out. It's on the page. We've got to get it delivered. But do you know what Earl Unger does with it? He sees an opportunity and he attacks. You should have taken driver's ed. Oh, I, I know beautiful. the line. I wrote the fucking line. Yeah, it's good. And is he just um, sculling cough syrup at this point? Yeah. I had written a big fanciful scene where we'd see Earl Unger robo-tripping. That's, of course, when you neck a lot of robo-tussin. Uh-huh. Um, I can't remember. I think they, they started calling it syrup. In, in, in colloquial popular culture. Right. So pretty much I made a point of Earl Unger going method here and actually necking a whole bottle of Robitussin on set. So it made him unusable. He became quite sick. And again, that blew out the production schedule by another month. Would I do it again? Almost definitely. He said some of the funniest, most nonsensical shit I've heard in my life when he was in the throes that high. And uh, a lot of it's unrepeatable. But my God, the guy had a lot of opinions and he was putting them out there. What a tempting mousetrap you set some cheese on and then uh, yeah. didn't allow us to visit. Now, what kind of shit was he talking about? Well, what was he saying? Couldn't tell you. Okay. What? But a lot of it was to do with the breakdown of your relation. You know, oh, the reasons. okay. Yeah. Now, while the dad, Kevin, would insist that we ate all of his cooking, all of his pretend cooking he'd do on set, Harlan was... She was from a different book. She was from the old school. She said, this is prop food. This isn't for eating. She, she was any from of the old school. A generation of actors that recognizes props for what they are. Props. props. Not food. Yeah. Not consumables. It was a real drag. She wouldn't let us eat any of the food. And um, when I, she caught me having a mouthful, actually, while they were on set. And she broke, very unprofessional, she broke character to tell me to take that fucking mouthful of grated carrot out of my mouth. So mm. what do you think I did? What did you do? Grabbed a fistful of carrot, put more carrot in my mouth. What do you think she did? Absolutely petulant. I can't believe that was your response as a growing screenwriting man. A growing screenwriting man. Yeah. Well, what can a poor boy do? Sip, sing for a rock and roll band. But a do, 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 Screenwriting man. Hey, you better watch yourself, man. Michael will have a. Bloody conniptions. Worth it. Oh, yeah. How about that for a change in lighting state here in the studio? It was getting dark. So what does my boy Raja do? He turns Lightens on it the up. light. That is what makes the film How many lumens are we talking here? 80,000. Seriously? Yeah, if we're under it long enough, we're going to require some pretty serious sunblock. <laughs> it's not fucking around. It's not fucking around. This is the bit in the movie where... Karen is being tricked by the villains who have infiltrated the phone lines, as Alex correctly identifies. This is the first time that was done in film. Um, Not a lot of people know about the ground that we broke making Home Alone 3, but never before had a uh, phone system being tapped by baddies been depicted on the big screen before. 
And a lot of movies retroactively wrote and shot and edited those scenes into their movies to make it look like this wasn't our invention. They were the absolute death of my legacy because I started so many things. And then, and then like George after Lucas, the fact, they went yeah. back, revisited, added shit, put it out as a DVD. Well, you were the first, you were the first person first. to have the idea to introduce the idea of uh, space. And then, of course, all of a sudden, Star Wars went from being a movie about you know celebrities fighting over property lines mm. to... Something set in a different galaxy. Yeah. It's enough to drive you up the fucking wall. It's disrespectful. It's unprofessional. And I find the behavior unsavory. George Lucas and I have a long-standing feud, of course. Of course. Of course. Involving his uh, ex-wife, who you managed to successfully whisk into a marriage of your own. Involving her, you married her. Yeah. I married George Lucas's ex-wife for one day. On a whim. <laughs> Her whim too. I was there. I married them. It was in Las Vegas, and I was dressed as Elvis Presley, the King of Pop. So this is a great scene, which sort of represents the beginning of the middle of the movie. A lot of people would think that when you got to the booby trapping sequence in Home Alone, that you're on the home straight. Well, not in this instance. I got a writer's room full of the guys from Jackass and Practical Jokers, various different pranked shows. Ashton Kutcher from Punked, the writer's room from that. I pulled them all together and I said, I want to have 40 minutes of hijinks at the tail end of my movie. They said, that's fucking insane. No other Home Alone movie in the franchise has even approached 30 minutes. I said, you shut your mouth. You're talking to John Hughes. I'll be dead one day. Don't speak ill of the dead. Start dreaming up booby traps. You know what's fun? John Hughesack. Anyone ever called you that before? John Hughesack? No, or John Cusack. Uh, at a Halloween party I hosted once, he showed up dressed as me and introduced himself <laughs> as John Hughesack. Yeah, you should have done it the other way. Around. I think it works better if you're John Hughesack. Yeah, the, the other his sister Joan, she came dressed as um a young Scarlett Johansson. Really, what a dashing pair they would have been. Books being loaded into a trunk. You can't get me on the physics of that one. A child cannot lift a fully laden trunk of books, but they can lift an empty trunk and then, and then put fill it up with books, books after it. the fact. You That's can't exactly correct. fucking get me on that. Now, these. we tried to get Steve Buscemi to play this weatherman, but he was busy uh, doing something. I believe when I spoke to him on the phone, it sounded like he was loading a bunch of rope and shovels into the boot of a car with Adam Sandler. And so instead, we just had to get some no-name actor. I wonder to this day, what exactly were Bashimi and Sandler up to? I think he was preventing fires, but I don't know if Adam Sandler had a ton to do with that. Unless did Adam Sandler get dragged into the New York All fire I could department hear by Bushimi? was the sound of a lot of rope and a lot of shovels. A lot of rope. Do you know, have you ever heard... Folks, have you ever heard the sound of a lot of rope? It sounds like, John, you do it. You do the sound. <laughs> It's a very unique sound, unmistakable. Can I just get a steam check with you? Hmm. How much steam are you are you running into, running out of, or currently carrying the appropriate amount of steam? I think if you visit the amount of steam and you look at it, 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 it dissipates too quickly. There's an observer effect to the steam. There's a phenomenon in quantum physics where if you look at the part or the subparticle traveling through the gate, it'll change its behavior. Right now, I am in superposition, and I need to not be asked questions about where I am. Okay. I am Schrodinger's steam. Well, Mr. Steam, I apologize. 
we now have the beginning of the, not fun and games, but I mean, this is what people come to the Home Alone franchise for. They come to see a child booby trap a house and essentially kill the cartoon version of villains anywhere between 5 and 50 times. And in that respect, we deliver big time. The first death, or what would be a guaranteed death you're going to see, isn't for a bit, but certainly what happens in this scene would cause grievous bodily harm to Alice Ribbons. Mm. We have young Alex. He's set it up so that he's got a dog whistle. He's blowing in various different positions. The dog that Alice Ribbons is walking is now tying loops around her legs. And this is a very strong dog. We put a lot of anabolic steroids into this dog's food for about two years before we started filming. So it had the strength and the mental fortitude to drag Alice physically through various different brambles, snow, twigs, gorse, concrete, until she was hurt, if not, you know, mortally wounded, certainly physically frustrated. Phenomenal use of brambles. That's the kind of vocab you can expect for a man who dedicates his life to writing for a living. That move, by the way, from us of feeding a dog anabolic, anabolic, anabolic? steroids for two years prior to shooting really came back to bite us in the ass when the that dog started unionizing yeah. the workforce. Uh, once again, a tremendous amount of money settling out of court to it's amazing that to, little issue, put that to it's bed. It's amazing to think what was legal before times, just how many how many different things were legal when we did them against how illegal they became as we were doing them. I mean, you talk about bad luck, but we had a real run of that on set, didn't we? It's a miracle this movie got finished and released as it, it was did. a different time. Something quite strange has happened in the control room. Yeah, this is a oh, bit in the movie go. where I wrote in uh, sort a of glitch. a glitch. Okay. Yeah, and it then, might just be for us, which might make it difficult for the Blu-ray sync later. Don't worry about that too much. Though. I won't worry about it too much. I'll tell you what we're seeing on screen, and that is uh, what's her name again? Havelin Williams descending the stairs, trying to obtain her coat from the closet, intercepted by a young Alex Pruitt who has booby-trapped said closet. My God, it's I mean, lucky that it, she didn't get in yeah. there because she honestly probably would have been killed or at least severely it's gotta be injured said, at by this the spring How fist. heavily we'd written the house to be booby-trapped pretty much makes the entire thing a ticking time bomb yeah. or a walking fucking disaster zone. And to my credit, I did tell you, I thought the thing that worked about the first two Home Alone movies is that the booby traps existed, the booby traps existed solely for the displeasure of the villains. If you introduce the film's heroes and they have to tete-a-tete with these weapons of war, it kind of introduces a level of complexity and tension that isn't quite needed in essentially a family film. And you said, Raja? Shut your fucking mouth. Shut your fucking mouth. How things at home. How things at home. And I said, you fucking bastard. I knew they weren't good. (laughs) He knew he was needling. It worked. I shut my fucking mouth, that's for sure. That's right. Havlin Williams went on to an incredibly successful career in real estate. That's right. In Ontario. Um, Was that actually right? Hmm? Is that actually right? Yep. She would look for the houses where people had passed away and then bring in um, shaman and uh, priests, perform exorcisms, which is a spiritual version of uh, flipping properties, which is a lot easier because you don't have to paint anything. You just get rid of the spirit that is in the house, which takes yeah. a day, day and a half, depending on how much incense you've got. 
and boom, property price goes up. We got to do my cent. holiday house that was, um, as I said earlier, on Lake Michigan. Uh, of course, one of the big problems with that property was it was entirely insulated by old Bill Clinton uh, unsuccessful merchandise T-shirts. And um, did they keep you warm at night? No. Both in a physical and emotional sense. Emotionally, it kept me very warm. Physically, it was freezing. Those t-shirts were too thin. They were made with very cheap and flimsy cotton. Right, and, flimsy um, cotton, the worst kind of my experience. Yeah, I like my cotton to be. St- I want it to be stiff, stiff, stiff as a board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they became stiff, but not because of the reasons you might like, because of ice. Anyway, oh, I'm so glad you said ice. What, what else would I say? Now, seen? first implementation of our favorite song, which we fought long and hard with the studio to get into the film. My Town. Uh, the, is that the name of it? By the Jerky Boys. Jerky Boys? No, nah, yep. it wasn't actually the Jerky Boys. Uh, I thought it was also called Ring the Bell. Oh, no, it is called My Town, isn't it? I always yeah. thought it was called Ring the Bell, but I was wrong in that. I'm going to try and get the band name How up. fucking handy is this character that you've penned? An eight-year-old applying a ratchet wrench to a swimming pool. And swapping around a whole... Cartoon boyfriend. There it is. They didn't do a lot after this. Well, they did a pretty big pyramid scheme, which actually worked out incredibly well for them ever so briefly until they got caught. Thanks a lot, FEC. How about you mind your own fucking P's and Q's? Pyramid schemes are good for as literally as long as it takes for people to figure out their pyramid schemes, Mm. which really pisses me off because they should be good for time immemorial, but alas... Not my call. Like the actual pyramids. Not my problem. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's a scheme that's lasted a long time. That's the model, surely. Is there any more rouge in that bottle, Tim? Certainly not. By which I mean Raja. Oh, yeah, there is. Why do I keep mislabeling you as a Tim? I've gotten that my entire life. People say I look like a Tim, which I find incredibly offensive. Something very funny no, about an angle grinder being applied in a, a kid's film. I loved it when Earl Anger first played with it while he's eating spaghetti and meatballs, and I love him when he well, whips it out to actually use you it You called them spaghetti and meatballs. We were contractually obligated to call them spaghetti and goofballs. One of the few pieces of product placement we managed to sneak into the film. Mm. American Airlines, spaghetti and goofballs. Of course, we were unsuccessful in Are we still under grimace. contract, though? Do we need to keep calling them that now that we're doing the director's commentary? Absolutely. As oh, long as we're watching the movie, we've got to use the appropriate name. Oh, shit. Well, in that case, I apologize for not bringing up the fact now, that we were under exclusive license to use Mrs. Hess's fuck lotion. Uh, there was a certain clause which she managed to get in with the dog uh, after heated negotiation with uh, John and myself that every time we referred to Mrs. Hess, we also had to dedicate some time to talking about Mrs. Hess's Fuck lotion. This is an all-in-one lubricant slash adhesive, which, depending on the temperature, will either make you slide off or connect to a loved one or an unloved one. It's really up to you. Yeah, and also not to be confused with Mrs. Hess' fuck potion, which is um, it's essentially an anti-adhesive. It is something that will separate you from your loved one if you find yourselves bound together by the sheer potency of the fuck lotion. Now, if you use the potion at the wrong time, you're going to get a pretty strong burning sensation that will require professional medical assistance. Mm. Uh, We are not obligated to share this information right now. All we have to do is do the read as it was written. But I think in the interests of communicating as much sort of accurate information as we can, it's important. It's best to know. 
Make sure you distinguish between the two products. The branding is exactly the same. The way that the labels are printed is exactly the same. The P, it's actually written as a soft P on the label of the bottle. It's written as an L, so something to look out for. A P is written as an L. Yeah, so they both read as lotion, although one of them is the potion. One of them is the potion. You've got to be careful. It's tricky. Almost as tricky as a young Alex Pruitt connecting a car battery to a chair. Positive and negative terminals wired to the metallic seating implement, which will surely destroy a mortal man. Very cute. Danger. Electrical energy sign that he's written up. Um, Which is, it's actually true. There is an electrical energy and it is dangerous. Yeah. Look, he's playing the ball as he We set all these booby traps it. up for How's that saying go? Real. Hitting that? the ball as he, I think something about a ball. I believe the saying you're looking for is it puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. God damn. Burton Jernigan overplays it, but Erlanger perfect comedic performance of getting uh, electrified. Subtle difference. A lot of people say electrocuted. That is only when you die because it is a portmanteau of executed and electricity. Ah. The more you know. And it is a warm day in hell when I can add some vocab to the late great screenwriter John Hughes, my best friend and a ghost who joins me in the voice booth for the Home Alone 3 Durkon. Sometimes we describe the performance as electrifying, but I guess that just means that they set the screen alight. It's an exciting thing to watch. It doesn't yeah. need to be rooted in its scientific base. Yeah, it's not literal. Great hair on Erlanger, don't you think? That yeah, long yeah. jet black hair on a six foot four man. It's here's, not something you see all the time. Here's a fun fact. All the snow you're seeing on screen right now is fake. Originally, we tried to use real snow, and we would get some of our props boys up on the roof. They'd use it in their hands, and they'd drop it on the actors, of course. By the time it was in their hands, it would turn into water, and we just wound up with some very Actually, wet, very frustrated performers. Now, here's something exciting, because I never told you this. Um, so everybody is getting this at the same time. This is new information. The fake snow that we used in Home Alone 3 is actually, anyone, anyone, asbestos. Mm. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. New information for everyone. And we really struggled to keep that under wraps, but obviously it was incredibly important. And looking back now, casting my mind on it, is that the reason we lost the late, great John Hughes so early, impossible to tell. It would be hard to say. I didn't move on from this realm for... Years afterwards, but any amount of asbestos you, you breathe in, yeah, that working in tandem the f- with the lead, how, I mean, yeah, there's a variety of maladies it. in the salmonella that I, you know, carried with me from this movie into my life afterwards that um, yeah, it's could all good. cumulatively be responsible Here for my go. demise. Here we go, a fantastic injury, a fully laden chest of books bursting out of a top and story so, window and landing square on mentioned. their head. I would argue this is the first instance in the movie of. Us actually trying to kill the characters. Yeah, in earnest. Ah, uh, now, here's where we bring the sexual heat. Alice Ribbons, Mrs. Hess, um, Mrs. Hess the Elder, tied up. Uh, do you call it, I don't think you call it gagged if there's just tape over their mouth. You might call it bound. Bringing a psychosexual energy um, to this Trojan horse, which is a family-friendly movie. A crazy decision, which I didn't make, nor did you, but uh, both the actors on screen here went, you know what? This scene has untapped potential. In 1998, we actually released a porn adaptation of Home Alone 3 called Boned Alone 3, and it was three people masturbating who eventually 
masturbating and walking, mm-hmm. and eventually they sort of walk into each other. They and coalesce. so they're, they're not boned alone anymore. They're, they're bound together. Mm. Four, which was the sequel to Boned Alone 3. Both of these movies perform very poorly. I played all of the characters in both of them. Some fantastic trick photography there to um, see John Hughes depicting three separate characters meeting yeah. together. I don't have a lot of range as a performer. While I'm fantastic at directing other people, I find it very difficult to perform as other people. And Mm. so essentially what you wound up with was three different pieces of video footage of myself masturbating spliced together to make it look like there were three of me in one room. Horrifying when you lay it out like that, isn't it? Really confronting to watch. Yeah, quite full on. I won, and I think this is the first instance of an R18 genuinely pornographic film being nominated for and winning a Razzie, one mm-hmm. of the Golden Raspberries, for Worst Director, Worst Title, Worst Performance. Bound Alone 3 got Worst Title? Unbelievable, I know. That is a travesty. I think it's quite inspired myself. Well, you live and you learn, don't you? Certainly do. Now we are seeing two adult villains getting donged on the head by, I would, I would argue estimate, that this is a 50 to 60 kg weight. A lot heavier than that. 150 to 160 kilograms. How did Alex get it up that high? We don't need to ask any questions. We don't need the answers to. Mm. Certainly another example of two characters in the movie being killed. Fatal knockout blows. Not rendered on camera, but certainly in person. We were lucky enough that both of these actors had... Uh, they come from families of triplets. So at this point, we had to stop killing them off and start respecting them in a way that we hadn't been. Control room. Can you, Michael, can you hear me? We're at uh, an hour, 10 minutes, and 20 seconds, 21, 22, 23. That's, once, Michael, can you hear me? One hour, 10 minutes, 30 seconds, 31, 32. Not quite sure if... Um, the one that we're seeing here in the booth is exactly the same as what they'll be seeing in the control room. But it would be an approximation good for a director's commentary. Man, I gotta, I gotta tell you, mm. I love this movie. <laughs> Me too. It's among my favourites. Here's uh, Mr. Pruitt, Kevin, in the airport, just minding his own business with a newspaper. Can't even remember why we put that shot in. To be honest. Just to establish the fact that the movie exists, the characters exist. We're all still here. We're doing it. And I guess that uh, the contractually obligated Home Alone portion is now. Can I ask you a question? Always. What was your favorite meal we had on set? Undeniably, the chicken. Because it's like so many people eat a meal and they know what they're going to get, which is a food that won't give them explosive diarrhea. But... You could taste from the moment you put Kevin's special chicken in your mouth that there was something distinctly wrong about it. Mm. And I'm a man who enjoys adventure. Mm -hmm. I love a punt. Mm -hmm. I love a gamble. Mm -hmm. And I love to mix things up. Mm -hmm. And so when the opportunity was offered to me to take a bite of this incredibly visibly undercooked chicken, Mm -hmm. I jumped at the chance. Mm -hmm. And... uh, Mm Do I regret it from a physical point of view because mm-hmm. I had to get a portion of my intestinal tract removed due to an inflation caused by an infection caused by the salmonella on the chicken? Mm-hmm. Kind of. Mm-hmm. But do mm-hmm. you know what I don't regret? Mm-hmm. Taking a punt. Because that's what filmmaking is all about. It is. What was your favorite being meal? bold enough to take risks. Uh, there was a day on set when someone prepared an eggplant parmigiana. 
Now, I was dabbling with vegetarianism at the time, mm-hmm. and in lieu of eggplant, which was out of season at the time, they used beef. And this was one of the most delicious meals I've had in my life. I said, what? Where'd you I'll get bet. The, where'd you get if this? you get a meal which is intended to have beef and then swap that out for the vegetarian equivalent and then swap that out back for the beef, you're in Flavortown, baby. Yeah, it was a delight. And that was actually the end of my relationship with vegetarianism. Did After Guy that, Fieri I went on, save that, serve that to you? Guy Fieri, we couldn't afford at the time. Even though he was a young upstart, we couldn't get him. So we instead just hired people off the street, anyone we saw walking past. It's my least favorite bit of the movie. Why? I hate seeing someone grab a twig, put it into their nose that deep, and just mess around. It makes me queasy. Wow, you've been, Especially you've when you been combine not watch Boned Alone 3. Cartoonish sound effect of a twang as something big you know, gets loosened out of there. I didn't like it I at all. I think it was at this point in the movie we decided that Burton Jernigan would be rendered as a fucking idiot. For our visually impaired audience members who are following along on this high-definition Blu-ray set, this is the part where the petrol-powered um, lawnmower, lawnmower has been activated by an incredibly crude trap set in the roof of the garage. That's right. So I would read, I would read this as our third fatality on set. This is another yeah. example of introducing a booby trap which is altogether... Too powerful for an ordinary person to survive. And that is why, and unfortunately, we had to say goodbye to our third person that's on right. set. And that, that was the fourth. So at this point, we have successfully killed off all of the original actors who were cast to play the villains. Mm. Thankfully, all of them born of triplets once more. So to be clear, Beaupre and Unger, we've burned through two of those sets of siblings on both sides. We've got one left. Ribbons and Jernigan... We've got two more of each actor to enjoy the use of. See, a light concussion is very different from a fatal accident. I don't even fully understand how, how that one works, despite the fact that I set it up. That window's falling on him because of a measuring tape being adjusted slightly. It, just, it, it reads a little off to me. Now, this is something I fought the studio very hard for, and that is a shotgun-wielding maniac to make his way into the house occupied solely by an eight-year-old. They said it's too much. Uh, it would be terrifying for children and off-putting for adult ticket buyers. I said, go fuck yourself, 20th Century Fox. You Who's did. making the movie, you me said, or you? You said literally that. And they said, both of us, this is a collaboration. Yep. We're going to need a little bit more nuance, a little bit more give than what you're providing us. And what did you say? I said, go fuck yourself, 20th Century said, Fox. Go Do you have any understanding twice. of who you're dealing with? The man who gave us 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I probably made a movie before. Did I make all those movies? I think so. Shit, what an incredible back catalogue. Indeed. I hope I'm not tarnishing my own memory by appearing on this director's commentary. I can't imagine how anyone would interpret that to be the case. Everything I say in this is true and delivered in good faith. Um, This is the bit of the film that I love. Yeah, there it was. That line, uh, now things are looking up. Things are looking up. Incorrect, from, uh, Burton Jernigan. So once again, we now kill off one of the characters. Oh, can I just explain that joke for a second? Because a lot of audience members didn't get this. So um, when Burton Jernigan appears in the window, he sees Alex Pruitt and he says, things are looking up. Because that is a turn of phrase you use metaphorically when it looks like your fortunes have changed for the better. Um, but of course, in a more physical and literal sense, it would mean an upward direction of things are ensuing. What happens... Mere moments after, fractions of seconds, is that he falls through the floor and actually descends in a downward direction. Just the opposite of up. The comedy is, in fact, if you've 
do, have I still got you? Are you following? So we've got a line of dialogue suggesting things are going up, but we've got a physicality of a character who's just delivered that line going down. And where those things are hitting each other, they're at odds. That's comedy. That's conflict. Yeah. That's storytelling. Comedy is often getting one of the characters in your film, your TV show, your radio play, your podcast to say one thing confidently while the opposite happens. For example, John, I respect you too much to make any moves on your wife. You know, and then you do another, it's, and it's funny. Yeah, this is the this is so the comedy. That, that example from. wasn't strictly accurate because what what Raja said was true, and therefore the example of the joke we were trying to make didn't qualify. Do you have any more rouge? You're in luck. See, if you were going for a uh, comedy response, so you would have said we're all out, and then poured the glass. You've got a lot to learn, John Hughes. I'm a ghost, man. I finished learning when I died, bitch. Yes, that's true. A lot of gunfire uh, in this movie. Again, something I steadfastly fought for in a PG-rated film. The studio told me I was out of my damn mind. Yeah, and what did you say? Last time I checked, this is America. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Tipper can go fuck yourself and her parental advisories. Oh, look at that. A deep freeze chest. Man. How cool are they? This is a part of the movie that I tuned out for both in production and as an audience member. Mm-hmm. By this juncture, we've had roughly 20 minutes of booby traps yeah, and exhausting. also no progress from either the protagonist or the antagonist as to the eventual outcome of the film. Essentially, you're banking on these 20 minutes of booby traps providing enough laughs that the audience won't experience a lag or fatigue or exhaustion at the idea that they're still trapped inside of this kid's movie. And... With hindsight, I regret bringing in that writer's room of 100 to create all of these elaborate booby traps because there is an experience of fatigue coursing through the audience. There is an experience of saying, hey, are we going to reach a resolution? Do we even remember why we're watching this movie in the first place? I would say at this point, you don't. No. It's almost hypnosis at this point. You're in there. You're watching the film. You don't know what's happening. All right. Turning point. Mrs. Pruitt has rung the house. This has tipped the villain's uh, uh, attention to the fact that someone's in the house. It's Alex. He now has to scramble his way to intercept the phone call, get his mum off the line before too much is revealed about his current predicament. He needs to protect his circumstance. She's after a sit rep. He's after anonymity. It's hilarious because those two things are in conflict. That's funny. Anything that is conflict in Raj's eyes is funny. Mm. For example, when people disagree, that's always funny. That's comedy. Yeah. Did you find that uh, during the divorce proceedings between yourself and your soulmate? I have seen Jerry Seinfeld perform live to sold-out audiences no less than 14 times in New York City, the greatest city on earth, and nothing compares in hilarity to the divorce proceedings of me and my wife. The finest living comedian we have, over a dozen times live, cannot touch the comic highs of me ending a relationship with my it's beloved. Pure, pure conflict. Absolute conflict. And what about the Insanity. Ar- Things and words were thrown. Things and words that had permanent and lasting damage. That, to me, is just so rich. What about it? 
you know, all this simmering resentment that builds up, all of that conflict that you're talking about, the aftermath, as the dust settled and life was undeniably and unchangeably different from how it had once been, not just today or tomorrow, but as far as the eye can see ahead, were those moments of sort of de-escalating conflict but still long-lasting emotional trauma and difference as funny as the conflict at its height? Or would you say that they had lasting and devastating ramifications for you and your mental health? Certainly the latter. But isn't that the funniest thing of all? In many ways, yes. Erlanger now thwarted by the eight-year-old Alex Pruitt, who is in a uh, sort of a laundry bag situation in a closet right it's, under his nose. Yeah, hiding, hiding beneath a feather duster. You'd think if you're going to open the door to a room that you are certain a child is in, that you'd at least have the you know the decency or the intelligence to check the various different places large enough to obscure a child's body. One would think. Alas, we didn't write it that way, so no. Now, we see the reintroduction of Stucky here, sadly flanked by much fewer than the 14 amnesia agents we originally originally wrote him to be charged with. And in fact, half of the people who are behind him are members of the police force who have fully functioning memories. So, Well, that was a flourish by me because, of course, I took your original premise of this man being in charge of a set of amnesia agents at the FBI and wanted to make sure that we were doing a true-to-life representation of that. And... The natural cut and thrust of that situation is you're going to lose a lot of guys along the way. They're getting caught up at a 7-Eleven. They get hungry. They forget who they Literally are, what anywhere. they're doing. They could get lost Absolutely. at any moment, at any time. Constantly. It's part of the excitement of the premise, but also part of the challenge of accurately representing it on screen. Yeah. So instead of seven amnesia agents from the FBI, we've got seven semi-competent police officers from the Chicago Police Force. <laughs> That bit of rouge went down the wrong way. Scarlett Johansson here, delivering one of her four powerhouse lines in the film. That's right. Now, when we'd written the script originally with Meryl Streep in mind, the daughter character had a lot of a meteor role, a much greater character arc. She fell in love. She fell in a ravine. (laughs) (laughs) All of the great stories. Um, There's seven great stories, and they are, of course... Falling, falling in, in love, love falling, falling in a in ravine, ravine, falling into debt, falling into a pyramid scheme, falling out of an aeroplane, falling for a prank, falling for a prank, and finally, we're at six so far, so there's probably a few more. There's seven, aren't there? Did I say 11 or seven? Oh, you said 11, maybe. Falling out of love. Falling over because your shoelaces are untied. Falling overboard. And... Falling for your enemy and the last and greatest of all the classic tales. Falling (laughs) through a hole, into a hole. Yeah, falling into a (laughs) hole. Falling through and into a hole. Anyway, when we realise... No, not anyway at all. Because, I mean, I cannot dwell too much... (laughs) On how great these classic 11 stories We'd of human all 11 kinda. stories into the film Listen with an eye to Meryl Streep performing them. The concept of a whole. What even is it? It's just an absence of thing that was there. Yeah. Kind of? How would you describe the it's, hole in your heart? Uh, is it the absence of your soulmate? In the same way that a hole in anywhere else is just, it, 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 hey, we thought there was going to be something here and there wasn't. 
Uh, or maybe previously, it's not just that we thought; it's that there actually was. Well, sometimes, sometimes there was never. It just you think that there would be, but there isn't and wasn't. What's your favourite kind of hole? Mine is the one that's it's a big An hole. Ass. <laughs> Undoubtedly, my one is it's when there's a big hole on a track or a path, and then it's been covered over with uh, leaves. Right, they're both good holes. Yeah, I think. Oh, speaking of good, the phenomenal swing to the nuts, which is uh, Alice Ribbons on Burton Jernigan's Ghoulies. Not a lot of people know this, but in America, in Hollywood, you're not allowed to make a family film unless someone gets um, hit in the nuts during the final cinema cut. It's a stupid rule, but it's an important rule. Yeah, so that was how we snuck that one in there with a hockey stick, which is a nod to your um, Canadian past. Yeah. Not that you were born there um, but that or I, anything. I did a lot of stuff there. You did a lot of stuff there, of course. Yeah. Famously, John Hughes did a lot of stuff. <laughs> I used to, I was the first person to milk a maple tree for syrup. <laughs> Seems like the right verbiage. Uh, now, a, a, a yeah. dumb waiter that isn't so dumb. Well, Electrically powered? Yes, please. This yeah. house is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's an, it's more like a... Um, it's just a waiter at this a point. A verbose waiter. He's an intelligent waiter. He's a um, a waiter hey, of great repute. Are we cool? Yeah, we're cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're cool. Are you and me cool? I think we're all right. But the fact that you're still here suggests to me that we're not. I think you are going to disappear when uh, when we get cool. Because I think that's your unfinished business. I'm, Let's I talk wanted, about our wives. Am I cool to do physical touch what, with you? Yeah, dude. Of course. Always. But what, like, what's the situation here? I uh, married your wife for a day. Yeah, and you I re- stole my wife. I think I didn't. For an I didn't know that I stole your wife, but I certainly how I drove uh, a sort of irreparable rift between you and your wife. Yeah, and it's something I do again in a heartbeat. I struggle with seeing anyone who's doing better than me personally or professionally. Oh, and yeah. once I identify that, I'll do everything within my not. You know, not minor power yeah. to disrupt it. Well, that, that's um the best use of your energy. A lot and of if people... anyone's listening, like I've I've uh, you know uh, attended a lot of Tony Robbins exclusive Seminars. workshops, which have cost a phenomenal amount of money, and rightly not so, not just for the ticket price, but he gets you to walk on hot coals. And I tell you what. It's not as easy as he makes it look because I have had skin graft after yeah. skin graft under the private well, you know the coals, system. You know the coals he's walking on are actually just warm. Oh, fuck. That's where I'm going wrong. Anyway, look, what Tony Robbins has taught me, if Tony Robbins has taught me two things, it's number one, check the coals he's walking on to see if they're the same ones you are being instructed to walk on. And the second is if someone's doing better than you, your energies are best served kneecapping that person rather, rather than, than raising yourself funneling up. Funneling them into yourself. That's yeah. exactly right. The easiest way to improve your own quality of life is by disrupting that of others. You have <laughs> no control over what you can do. You have a lot of control over what you can stop other people from doing. Attack. That's me being the robot. Yeah, and very convincingly too. Thank you. Alice Ribbons is still in the house. She hasn't been injured beyond repair She yet. is, of course, absolutely dripping in fecal matter that yeah. is poured upon her by, I can't remember, a burst pipe or something? Now, <laughs> I made this decision in the heat of a meth bender. It doesn't make any damn sense according to human behavior, but to just open a door and ask first fall down into it, I mean, the what fuck? 
Are you looking at Michael then? He's looking at Alice Ribbons. Oh, oh yeah, I am looking at Michael. What was I'm Michael saying? Uh, lol. Now they're all wet. Michael, sometimes the office is strong and sometimes they are observations on literally what is happening in the film. Mrs. Hess, fuck machine, reintroduced to the film at a pivotal moment by Alex Pruitt saving the day. Is it dicey to have the eight-year-old protect the incredibly sexually uh, charged protagonist? Well, by this point, it was, of course, illegal for us to have them in the same room. And so once again, you'll see, you never see their faces on camera simultaneously. Except for that. Except for that one yeah. shot. That Otherwise, composite, yeah. Think. And there's the it was very important that we in. shot them across each other so that we didn't have to deal with the... A lot of moving parts when you start breaking it down. We had the asbestos running in through the window uh, from the um, fan machines, which cost too much because they had to be manually operated by unionized workers. We've now got uh, my would... original attempt at sneaking blackface into a movie by having the lead bandit with um, black spray paint on. That's We've right. got Alex Pruitt in the same room as a... Uh, uh, well, Alex Dillon's... Um, in the same room as a performer who he was legally barred from sharing a space with. I mean, is it sort people of exciting... say making movies is good and fun and a great time. It's fucking hard. Incredible confluence of circumstance. It's, it's like hard. everyone was conspiring against us actually realizing this movie for what it was meant to be. And they did a pretty good job. We made a very different movie. Bone to Line made... 3, however, I came across very few production challenges. The quality of product was severely diminished because I didn't have to adapt to various different governing bodies or sensible people who are guiding me in the right direction. Mm. But that is one of my projects I can look at and stand behind and say, yes, this is what I wanted to create. Three of myself masturbating in what appears to be one room. Yeah. Probably Alex's best delivery of a line. That doesn't belong to you either. He's swapped... An actual handgun, and this is funny because it's a kid's film, an actual handgun which is being wielded at his eight-year-old body for a bubble gun, unbeknownst to the lead villain who thought he was uh, wielding an actual handgun, Adam. It is funny, the idea of an eight-year-old child being threatened with an actual handgun. The whole thing funny. In that respect, funny. you are not it's wrong. It's funny that Alex is being threatened mortally with a handgun. It's funny that he turns the table and threatens an adult with a handgun. It's funny that neither of those are a handgun. However, we have seen several real both handguns and sawn-off shotguns throughout the film. And not just fake ones. They were discharged. Comedy is often the introduction of guns into a PG-rated film. Absolutely. It's either conflict or it's the introduction of real weaponry yeah. in a kid's movie. Yeah. Yeah. You heard of comedy? Knock, knock. Who's there? It's a gun. A gun who? A gun in a kid's film. Oh, hello, comedy. Come and take a seat. Yeah, please. That's Welcome into my house. Is. Let me serve you up some undercooked chicken. Now, finally... We are experiencing what I would call the tail end of the film, the falling action. Uh, Michael, There's... if you're listening, just to resync here, 1 hour 31 and 38 seconds, 39 Which seconds, Which means there's roughly seconds. 7 to 8 minutes of film left. We have seen our young champion, Alex, on the tail end of trying to mortally wound these characters, yeah. at least incapacitate and trap them. Detective Stuckey from the FBI will show up to arrest them, armed by, I believe, as little as one of his amnesia Stuck agents. Stuck in the Stucky with you. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Some agents are sharp. Some, some agents, agents are blunt. blunt but you've never been stuck, stuck with such a stuck-up cunt as Stucky. It's stuck with Stucky. What's happening to Stucky in this episode? 
Well, in this episode... John Hughes. In this episode, as in the TV show or the movie? I want to hear the pitch for this episode that we're well, going to explain in this. if this episode was rendered instead of being Home Alone 3 as an episode of Stuck with Stucky, yeah. you would start it with Stucky walking into the office. All of the amnesia agents are congregated there. They're looking out the window. What are they looking at? It's a Christmas parade. It's a Christmas parade. So they're watching everyone parade by, and Stucky says, Agents! You're not meant to be here. It's Christmas Day. You're meant to be with your families. And, and they yell back, you're not allowed to call us by our race. That is incredibly uncouth. Yeah. We work for the FBI. And he says, no, agents. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, A eventually all of them disperse. They scatter. Several of them follow Stucky home under the impression that they're meant to spend Christmas with his family. But instead of following them home, they follow him onto an airplane. He flies from wherever the... Washington, D.C., actually, FBI HQ. They get on a plane with them to Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, I researched it. Maryland? You keep saying this. That was the CIA. Oh, okay. We found out in the last, when we last listened to an episode of The Worst Idea of All Time. Michael, cut that bit out. Can you you cut that out? You've got to do us a solid. Thanks, mate. Anyway, several of the amnesia agents follow him to O'Hare Airport in Chicago, Illinois. They get into a police. What's it called when there's a like there there are cop cars supporting squad car? I guess I what don't know. What are you know. looking for? I, you just asked me to articulate an episode of Stuck wagon? with Stucky, not a paddy fucking wagon. Did escort, you know a, um, escort. Oh, okay, police escort. Do you know that's originally a slight on Irish people? That's what that that name is from, paddy wagon. Because you'd fill it up with Irish, a uh, drunk Irishman originally. I didn't know that. Is that still in parlance? Yeah, I mean, I hear it used. And there's a, um, a pretty direct Irish descendant. You know, maybe something should be done about that. Sorry for the challenges you face in your life, Raja. They are huge and insurmountable. Now, this fucking parrot. He has reassembled the remote control car smashed moments ago on screen. Brought from somewhere, parts unknown, a safety match which barely exists in the world right now where you can just strike it on any surface and they light. And found our final villain who has fixed himself in an explosive-laden igloo. The parts are really all coming together now, folks. This is how you end a fucking movie. You've got a cracker callback here. We're about to see the power of these fireworks that have been hidden under the older brother's bed for the entirety of the film. Is the older brother called Stan? Stan and Molly are the siblings. And what I like is that you and I made a joint decision to show the full force of these fireworks, which leaves no question in your mind that the man inside has been absolutely murdered by that parrot. Yeah. He's dead. No one survives an explosion There's no like way that. for him to survive. There's absolutely no way. We it's see the conclusion of the terrifying. film now. Stan Lee makes a reappearance in a cameo. We did not shoot these on the same day. We, as always, worked on this movie chronologically. Everything you see happens sequentially, so it was it's very expensive to get him back. Yeah, it gets really confusing. Because you've got to like, sort out the footage, and it's just too difficult to it's do It's a pain it. in the ass, to be completely honest. Yeah. So all of this is sort of the wrapping up of several loose ends. There was an extensive scene in this featuring the fish that was not included, hence Hughes's fish. Now, I cannot stress this enough. I have seen John Hughes make some absolutely brilliant moments in cinema through his deft understanding of the human condition and what it means to tell a good story. 
Um, some great moments that come to mind. Mm, maybe Cameron actually facing off against his dad at the finale of Ferris Bueller. But what we're about to see on screen in terms of a bookmarking event to wrap up the film will rival Shakespeare, uh, any great writer, <laughs> Plato, uh, the, anyone. You pick a writer, this beats the pants off of it. Plato you know wasn't how... exactly known for his narrative no, work. No, no, he, he bloody loved the stuff. He loved the stories. <laughs> Nothing will rival a film about a remote control car this is my being town. wrapped up Watch by the father coming back around. and gifting to his son from the airport. What is it? What is it? What is it? What is exactly it? Exactly the, the exact... same remote control it's car. It's the same model. It's the exact same toy. And with that and several mugshots of the captured crooks, it represents the end mercifully, of Home Alone 3. I don't I think you, I've ever been so happy to see the end of a film. It Jesus was a lot of fun to fuck. make. It was a lot of fun to talk about. But now I feel as though I've been set free. A weight has lifted from my shoulders as I no longer have to discuss what was one of the most challenging production experiences of my life. Well, it looks like it's time for John Hughes to ascend into parts unknown, by which I mean heaven. How could we know it? We're alive. I hope so. Uh, I hope I don't go back to purgatory. As for me, Raja Gosnell, well, I guess I'm going to continue to make the best films you'll ever watch. Thank you for joining us for this director's commentary for the Blu-ray of Home Alone 3. Bon Nui, which is French for good night. Really? Yeah. Bon Nui? Yeah, N-U-I-T. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.